last week on the Twilight Zone podcast, we began our epic two-hour conversation with the author of Visions from the Twilight Zone, Arlen Schumer. Now this week I'm going to play the second half of that interview, but I'll just read out a couple of comments that people have made and some communications since part one. David Haylett on the Facebook page said, Thank you, Tom, for a wonderful episode and eagerly look forward to part two. Thank you, David. Lom Edwards on Arlen's Facebook page said, A fun conversation. Tom Elliott does a great show. Can't wait until part two. Well, thanks, Lom. I appreciate that. A longtime friend of the show, Adam Cook, on Twitter said, Mr. Schumer, in your interview, said that if Alfred Hitchcock had made an episode of The Twilight Zone, he'd have made Mirror Image. He was spot on. One of the 17 Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes directed by Hitchcock himself was called The Case of Mr. Pelham. In this episode, an exact copy of the titular character was taking over his life. This is one of the very few Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes with an unexplained sci-fi element to it. It is a classic for any Hitchcock or Twilight Zone fan, so excellent bit of feedback there. Thank you, Adam. Some some good trivia. I'll have to try and find that one. Another friend of the show, Mike Lewis, sent me an email and he said, Dear Tom, I was really pleased to hear that Arlen Schumer was going to be on your show. I too have had his book for many years and I like to open it up late at night and just get lost in the imagery inside. I was delighted to hear that Arlen's hoping to release an updated version and I have my fingers crossed that he'll be able to get it published. Arlen's commentary on the Twilight Zone ranges from intelligent observations about the subtext of each show to excellent analysis of the visual style that only the Twilight Zone has. I love the Twilight Zone podcast and it was a joy hearing you two speaking together. I hope it's not the last time that Arlen is on the show. Well, I don't think it's going to be the last time either, and we'll maybe speak a bit more about that in the conversation with Arlen. So without further ado, here is part two of my chat with Arlen Schumer. But getting back to that lecture, I'll I'll tell you what I like about the lecture now, and you've touched upon this a few times as we've spoken, but... You know, you do talk about the cultural importance and the history and that kind of thing, but you talk about the visual style in a way that probably only an artist can do it, you know, and that's what makes you different from other Twilight Zone commentators. So, you know, what is it on a visual level that makes the Twilight Zone different from something like The Outer Limits? Well, you know, it's funny you mention The Outer Limits because... You know, it's like discussing uh, back to James Bond. You know, I'm mm. a big Sean Connery fan. And then if you grew up with the Roger Moore Bond and that's your Bond, I feel sorry for you. Because to me, <laughs> there's only Sean Connery. And in mm-hmm. Spider-Man, I'm a fan of Steve Ditko, the original Spider-Man artist. That's it. All the other Spider-Man artists, if you grew up with John Romita, God bless you, but sorry, I'm a purist. So... Yeah. So the thing about when they talk about Outer Limits, whatever came after the Twilight Zone was influenced by the Twilight Zone. So Uh any nice black and white cinematography that Outer Limits might be known for 
in my opinion, okay, it's pretty good, but it starts and ends with the Twilight Zone. That's where it began. So anything after, like I said, it is after the Twilight Zone. The Outer Limits yeah. opening, that famous, you know, you are not in control of your television set. That's one of the greatest openings in television history. Maybe mm -hmm. the greatest. But it would never have been done if it wasn't for those incredible Twilight Zone openings. Yeah. Of which there were four or five different ones, which are all brilliant in their own way. So I might even honor the Outer Limits by saying their opening it might be the single greatest, but in the scheme of things, it came after the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. so, so I honor the Twilight Zone when it deserves honoring by being the first. So there were other black and white shows before the Twilight Zone, and like yeah. the Outer Limits, there were other black and white shows that came after the Twilight Zone. But when you just look at what the Twilight Zone did, and it, it starts right from the get-go, the, the pilot episode, directed by Robert Stevens. He only directed uh -huh. one other episode, which is Walking Distance. The pilot episode, Where Is Everybody?, and Walking Distance alone mm -hmm. are two of the greatest Twilight Zone episodes right from the get-go. But these guys, they were shooting on film, but they were shooting for television. You know, The Honeymooners, I Love Lucy, those were sitcoms. Those were shot on stage, like for an audience, and it, the Twilight Zones were films. Hmm. They were miniature films shot for television and shot with an eye for television. Yeah. And that meant, and remember, this is late 50s, television was relatively new as a visual medium. Only guys like Ernie Kovacs tried to experiment with television as a visual image with some of the mm -hmm. antics that he did. Yeah. But it was relatively new in terms of treating the television image as a visual image in, in, in an artistic sense. Now, all the guys that shot Twilight Zone, these directors, they all came out of films or other television shows, but most of the television directors in the 50s were film directors. Everybody from film transferred to television. Uh -huh. Very few were homegrown television directors. But so Serling, as you know, comes of age really as a television writer. And yeah. in writing those emotional teleplays that ended up winning him Emmy Awards before the Twilight Zone, he, he kind of realized it was all about the close-up. Unlike movies where you have all that location photography, television was more immediate. Everything we take for granted, Tom, about television when we talk about it now you got to mm -hmm. remember, back then, it was a new medium. Nobody yeah. had scholarly essays about the television image as image. You know, that came yeah. way later. So guys like Serling and the directors that he chose, you know, you love Mirror Image. That was John Brom. John mm. Brom directed a lot of great. He directed Time Enough at Last. He directed You Drive, which is like before Stephen King and, and Christine and any of these car movies where the car mows down the people, it all starts with the Twilight Zone. But that's also yeah, yeah. John Brown. You know, these guys were, like I said, they were film noir guys. They were film directors. So the point is, is they knew they were shooting for television. So the way they cropped the image was simpler, was more graphic. And, uh -huh. then, and, and then because Serling was writing these tight 
little stories. Again, 23 minutes. They're the equivalent of like the Phil Spector hit single versus the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper, the album. The one-hour TV show is like the album. The half-hour anthology is like a three-minute hit single. You got to have a hook. You got to get in there, hit people with the hook, have that great chorus, repeat the chorus, third verse, you know, chorus again. You know what I mean? That form. That's yeah, yeah. Sterling Holmes with the Twilight Zone. But then you get the visual guys, George T. Clemens, the director of photography. I got to interview him in the late 80s. He's long since gone. But yeah. I quoted him in my book, and it's in my writings. He told me the story. There was pressure on Sterling later in the Twilight Zone to try because the ratings were low. Why don't we uh -huh. try shooting it in color? This was just when color television was just starting. So this okay. would have been like with everything Serling did ahead of its time. Imagine the last season of The Twilight Zone in 1963 in color. It might have happened. Wow. But George G. Clemens, the director of photography, who had a history also in film, he said to Serling, we can't give you The Twilight Zone feeling in color like we can give you in black and white. Now, George C. Clemens was a seasoned Hollywood professional. He was not a artist. He was not an artiste. He didn't go to art school. Like all those Hollywood craftsmen, none of them were, quote, artists. Those guys came later in the 60s, the filmmaker as artists. You know, that was the Martin Scorsese's and the Coppola's. They read film theory. But guys that did the Twilight Zone, that was the generation earlier. But... They instinctively knew their craft, so they were artists in their own way. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. So guys like George C. Clemens, for him to say a phrase, we can't give you the Twilight Zone feeling in color like we can in black and white. Now, remember I told you, Tom, earlier, don't even talk to me about all those Twilight Zone remakes. Why? Yeah. Because they shoot them in color. They missed the whole point. The Twilight Zone uh -huh. is the middle ground between light and shadow. It's a black and white concept. Now, I'm lucky. I went to art school. I read art theory and all that bullshit. And I use that, you know, tongue in cheek when I say that. Hmm. It's a beautiful thing, art theory. But as a guy that grew up reading comic books and watching television, I'm a child of pop culture who also went to art school and learned about art theory. And I'm trying in my whole career to mix high art and low art, which is all the rage these days. That's uh -huh. a trend in the art world the last 25 years is to mix high and low, our whole culture now. Look at Twin Peaks on television. Speaking of influence by Twilight Zone, David Lynch is a child of Serling, just like Spielberg and Lucas and James Cameron and uh -huh. everybody else's, George Romero. They're all children of the Twilight Zone. But look at what's happening on television today. Twin Peaks is like, I was watching a recent episode, I'm going, he's like painting on television. Like yeah. the images he's creating is like television art. But this goes back to what I was telling you about guys in the late 70s. But one of those guys doing that was David Lynch when he did Eraserhead in 1977. Filmed in black and white, it was his homage to the Twilight Zone. Yeah. So you see how I'm kind of bringing this all full circle in a way? So uh -huh. that visual image of the Twilight Zone, Clemens, as a craftsman, knew what that Twilight Zone feeling was. How do you define the Twilight Zone feeling, Tom? We could fill up a whole podcast 
just with trying, what is the Twilight Zone feeling? It's what I try to get across in book form. That 2 a.m., 10-year-old watching the Twilight Zone, that's part of the Twilight Zone feeling. Yeah. When I describe something surreal, when you're doing something in your life and somebody goes, because fear <laughs> happens, that's a Twilight Zone feeling. But you see, getting back to surrealism, that's exactly what the surrealists wanted people to do. When something weird happens in your life and you think of the Twilight Zone theme song, you're acknowledging a moment of surrealist experience as intended by the very first surrealists. They want yeah. you to stop and look on top of your reality. You know how people talk about after-death experiences and how their souls rise up out of their body and they hover and they uh -huh. look down upon the scene? That is the definition of surrealism on top of reality stepping back from reality so in the 60s getting back to the psychedelic era that the twilight zone influence the whole yeah. thing on the drug experience and marijuana and psychedelics lsd was hey man life is like a movie because the psychedelic drug hallucinogenic experience was doing what the surrealists wanted you to do on your own without drugs but drugs, the whole psychedelic experience is exactly that. So, and I interviewed George Clayton Johnson, one of the Twilight Zone writers, and I quoted him in my book and mm. my lectures. And he said, George just recently passed away, like a year ago, but he was yeah, a yeah. pothead. He was a science fiction writer in the early 60s. He had horn rim glasses. He looked like Charlie Brown. And then, <laughs> and then in his 80s, he looks like a guru from it looks like the ancient one from like the Doctor Strange stories, <laughs> you know what I mean? But that that yeah. is, that is the American counterculture. They went from yeah. horn rimmed glasses and crew cuts to long hair. You know what I mean? That that was what happened in the sixties. But Clayton Johnson said, Twilight Zone, like marijuana, helped prepare people, and he used the term to get them jacked up to another level. Again, there's that idea of the level, getting above your reality, a level in terms of height and distance. So metaphorically, the Twilight Zone took you to that other level where you yeah. looked at reality fresh and went, whoa, uh -huh. you know, yeah. what, what if black and white people were equal and there wasn't, you know, you know what I'm saying? All of those oh, messages yeah. and all of those ideas that later became what we call the 60s, and we're still living in the repercussions of all that. And that's why yeah. the Twilight Zone is still popular. I'm sorry it's not on in England. I can't believe it, but that's a movement you got to start. Get the BBs. Don't you guys have the sci-fi channel over there? We do. We do, but they just don't show it. Don't they show the Twilight Zone like at 6 a.m. or someone got And then they show the marathons. Don't you get the Twilight Zone Marathon on the Sci-Fi Channel, New Year's Eve and all that? No, honestly, it, it's just not been on TV since I was a kid that I know of. So here's what we got to do, Tom. We stage a whole thing where in, in time with these London performances of the stage, what are they doing? A couple episodes, they're adapting it to stage? I, I assume so. I've actually got interviews lined up with them, uh, and I'm hoping they give me a bit more information. Because, you know, I, I have my own proposal for what I would do live on stage with the Twilight Zone. 
I just haven't been able to meet the right people to get those things done. But um, okay. anyway, but my point is you should use that as an anchor point to drum up a whole grassroots campaign to get the Twilight Zone back on regular English television somewhere, somehow. Uh-huh. And then in conjunction with that, bring me over to lecture on why the Twilight Zone is great art, essentially. Mm-hmm. And somehow coordinate the, the plays with like the London art scene whether it's, you know, a graphic design thing or the tape or any any kind of, I don't know what's over there, but you've got that mm-hmm. London Design Center, if I remember correctly. Isn't there this thing called the Design Center in London? I'm just saying, Tom, I can't do it from over here. But man, <laughs> you can see the fifth beetle on this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I'll do my best. That's all I can ask. But man, it would be unbelievable. Yeah. And can you imagine, and then that might spur the publisher and CBS to get the book published? Because, Tom, I'm going to send you a PDF when I'm done with the book. And the PDF is going to blow your mind. Oh, wow. Revised book is going to blow your mind. But I'm just saying it would be so great to, like, come to England and lecture and, I don't know, be a part of that whole thing. Yeah, man. Well, we need it. We need it, you know, because there's kids who aren't, you know, just catching it on TV by accident and then getting hooked. That's my point. This could be part... Listen, the BBC should be showing the Twilight Zone. But like I said, if you guys get the Sci-Fi Channel, Uh and the Sci-Fi Channel shows the Twilight Zone, like, when they have their marathon, don't you get the Sci-Fi Channel? Can't you see the marathon on the Sci-Fi Channel? No, no, it's a a British Sci-Fi Channel, you know. I mean, they show American shows, but they... It's not the same sci-fi channel we get here. No, no. Okay, man, this should be something, because you know what? I know the Twilight Zone used to play in England, like I said. Mm. Serling, uh, there's a film, uh, like a rare film, where he's addressing like the English advertisers or something. Like, I know the Twilight Zone did play over in England. Yeah, yeah, it did. There's got to be, there's got to be, there's no websites or people other than you and your podcast are there no other internet english twilight zone things over there i don't think so man i don't think so i think i'm sailing this ship alone you've got the twilight zone on the internet in england well you know we we see the the american websites obviously but you're like the only guy in england doing anything on the twilight zone on the web as, as far as i know there aren't other when like reviewing episodes on the I'm just well we got to bring yeah. the Twilight Zone back to England man okay okay it's like a reverse British invasion I <laughs> got to come over to England as the sun rod surly never had to reestablish the Twilight Zone in England man that sounds like poetry itself um but it can't happen Without you, man, you've got to be the spark plug. you got to be my secret agent in England. I feel slighter. You're James Bond. <laughs> okay, I'm coming over from America. Okay, cool. Well, no, I will, I will definitely try. You know, I'll make those calls. I'll, I'll send those emails, you know, because it would be great for me too. I would absolutely love it. Listen, it would be unbelievable. It would be too good mm-hmm. to be true. So I'm yeah. not going to get my hopes up, but man... I'm telling you, if you can make it happen, I will deliver. Oh, I know that. My lecture will change people's lives. Most my time, we never even talked about any of the episodes. I, I feel like we never even talked about the Twilight Zone. 
We talked about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have we talked? the twilight zone well i've got a list of questions but they kind of went out the window i've just been uh free forming but um i'm just saying i feel like we barely even talked about the twilight zone itself well that that's okay that's okay i mean because an obvious question is give us your favorite episode well it's funny you mentioned mirror image because that's one of my favorite you know it's funny you try to do a top 10 or your, your top first of all you can't just pick one for, well for many years I, the Beholder, was always rated in a number one episode uh-huh. pre-internet, before there were, before the internet, whenever there was a thing in a fanzine or something, I, the Beholder, usually ranked number one. People also remember time enough at last because of that ending yeah. where he breaks his glasses. It's only been recently that an episode like To Serve Man has leapfrogged and become like one of the most memorable episodes. And I think that's because those TV shows V were basically spinoffs of that episode. There was mm-hmm. that V in the early 80s, and then they remade it about five or six years ago. But that idea of like the aliens coming to Earth and being at first, you know, oh, they mean us good, and then they turn, like that's become a familiar trope. And I think that's uh-huh. why that episode, but... That's not one of my favorite episodes at all to serve, man. That's what I call a punchline episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it all comes down to the pun to serve, man. My favorite episodes, because we've talked about surrealism and existential, my favorite episodes are trying to get at what was the Twilight Zone about? What was mm. that Twilight Zone feeling? And, and in a sense, my whole quest of my writings about it the, the title of my introduction in my revised edition of the book is What Was the Twilight Zone? Yeah. Because how do you define that? If somebody had asked you, not what was it, yeah, it was a TV show, we get it, but what was the concept of Twilight Zone? What, how do you define the Twilight Zone? Other than just repeating Serling, well, it's a middle ground between light and shadow. So my feeling is the best Twilight Zone episodes, by definition, should define what the Twilight Zone was really about. So when I think of like, whenever I have a newbie, like somebody young, a teenager, that's maybe never seen a Twilight Zone episode, the first episode I'll show them, I usually show them five characters in search of an exit. That's one I remember a lot from, a, from those 2 a.m. watchings as a kid, right. yeah. Right. You can, we can have a whole podcast, and we should, man. We should do a whole series of podcasts where just you and I discuss mm-hmm. each episode at a time like a like you and i just one-on-one because i'm sure we can have a blast uh-huh that's one of my favorite episodes because that to me defines what the twilight zone was about you know people in a void they don't know where they are they don't know how they got there they don't know who they are where are we what are we who are we has mankind been asking those very same questions as long as mankind has been around. Where are we? How did we get here? What do we do while we're here? And where do we go when we die? Those are the three essential questions of life. Well, where are we? What are we? Who are we? As voiced in the Twilight Zone is essentially all of our questions about life. We are three billion people in search of an exit. Mm -hmm. And that's why that episode to show newbies is such a defining episode 
because it makes you question. Because I ask people, what was that episode about? And don't yeah, tell me yeah. the plot. Yeah, I know. They're, they're revealed to be toys. That's not what they're, you know. It reminds me of being back in elementary school when you had to do a book report and you had to do an oral report. And the teacher always said, don't tell me the plot. Tell me the <laughs> Remember that? I don't know if they had that in England. But my point is, yeah. is yeah, when I, tell, when I ask people, what was Five Characters Search and Exit about? I don't mean tell me the plot. I mean, what is that episode about? And it's about life on Earth. Uh-huh. We're all in this round, circular vortex trying to get out. How do we get out? We can't get out by ourselves. We need other people. Yeah, yeah. That's what society is all about. And all those five characters are like the five natures of man. There's the gung-ho army general. There's the kind of critic, the clown. He doesn't really do anything, but he talks about, you know, doing it. Each person is sort of, you know, there's the kind of the bystander, you know, that lets other people make decisions. I mean, that episode, again, in 23 minutes, Tom, that episode is so rich and deep as like an onion. You can peel it and you'll keep getting layers. But that's why it's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Where is everybody? The pilot episode. Maybe the greatest pilot episode in television history. Why? What is the pilot episode supposed to do? It's supposed to lay out the themes of the show. Most pilot episodes are just random episodes. They don't necessarily do that. But when you look at where is everybody, you can show that episode today to newbies. Unlike a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, you can kind of, if you know the shtick, you can kind of predict the ending. Yeah. You got to really judge these episodes as if you were watching for the first time when you didn't know what the Twilight Zone shtick was. So some of those surprise endings are really surprises. But if you look at where is everybody... There's no way you can predict that ending. So the ending comes as a total surprise. But what makes that one of the great episodes and a defining... Every Twilight Zone episode is somehow about man's dislocation from reality. Right? We talked about surreal being on top of reality. Somehow you get separated from your reality. Yeah. And essentially you're, you're alone in that reality. Your new reality. Everybody else is, it's like the episodes where you know who you are, but everybody else doesn't know who you are. You're yeah. isolated. You're alone in your own altered reality. That is one of the essential Twilight Zone ideas experiences. Where is everybody? Is the ultimate expression of that, of that aloneness. You are literally uh-huh. alone in the world. That's the ultimate alienation from reality. So that's a great episode. So. You know what I've noticed a lot when you you speak all and you talk about those those twenty three minutes. Yeah, that's my point. Each one of these episodes that I'm going to name is a lot richer than twenty three minutes. Uh-huh. But yet, in those twenty three minutes, so yeah, so it's where is everybody? Five characters, mirror image is essential because again, this idea of another you is an essential idea that man has always i think wrestled with that we yeah. can have these duplicates of ourselves soulmates you know all the stuff the whole duality of life is essentially in that episode and then atmosphere 
and visually it's directed again it's like it's like a it's like an Alfred Hitchcock film not a TV show but that to me the existential dread that hangs over that episode is like nothing else um, on television so so um, that's four episodes and then I think the fifth well, you see, then you start getting well, but hold on, Eye of the Beholder is essential. Uh-huh. Um, I think the, the after hours with Anne Francis, with the mannequins, that's an essential episode. The Hitchhiker, you really got to have a, almost a top 10 of essential episodes, but yeah. all the ones I'm naming, The Hitchhiker, where you discover that you've been dead, that existential feeling of feeling that you're, again, alienated from reality. The Hitchhiker nails that perfectly. So I probably named about 10 episodes, but, you know, I the Beholder, not just for the way it's shot, because it's filmed like a ballet almost. So visually, nothing looks like... That's why I the Beholder has to be... In my book, I give you the entire episode, uh-huh. like a comic almost, just every significant frame, so that you read it, like a play but without stage directions and i give you every significant image because it's the only episode that you could do that with that could hold up to that visual scrutiny is eye of beholder so that occupies a special place and then you know the pig faces are so memorable and so they ride that line between comedy and tragedy you know those famous theater masks of the tragedy and the comedy that famous symbol for theater yeah yeah what makes the Twilight Zone perfect is that it rode the line between comedy and tragedy in some of these episodes where you look at those pig faces, they are right on that line between comedy and tragedy, which is what makes them so unbelievably memorable and yet horrible at the same time, is that they look comedic at the same time they look absolutely horrible. That's the Twilight Zone. You see, you talk about that Outer Limits it was the monster of the week. It was everything the Twilight Zone wasn't. Yeah. The Twilight Zone was about psychological, existential, surreal. Outer Limits was like, sorry, we'll do the monster of the week. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was some nice photography, one or two good episodes. Most of them were padded. They were an hour long. Don't get me started. And I, I grew up with the Outer Limits, but overrated compared to the Twilight Zone. So I will always defend the Twilight Zone as far superior to the Outer Limits in every way. Do you think that the, um, because you, you said in your talk, you keep mentioning 23 minutes, that when they made Twilight Zone an hour long, Horrible. and I quote, you said, I don't like him, and that's another story. So you, you feel it lost that essential element? Well, here's the problem, is that those types of stories, and you know, Alfred Hitchcock worked better as a half hour as well. The TV mm-hmm. show Alfred Hitchcock tried to do a couple of hour-long seasons. I don't think those, those stories hold up as well. There's something about that format. Uh-huh. Of course, it's, it's anthology. It's not, you know, the same characters every week. There's something about that format where that half-hour format works, where when they went to an hour... Um, I think in those early days of television, they didn't understand the potential of the hour format, and it just ended up being a lot of people sitting around talking. They were packed, you know what I mean? So that's the problem with those, is 
with the exception of on Thursday we leave for home and Death Ship. I think all of those other Twilight Zone one hours are, I can't even watch them. They're unwatchable. Now, you know what I would do if I ever could get around to it? I would give all of those hour-long episodes to a professional television editor hmm. and, pay, and pay him to edit each one of those episodes down to a half hour. And I guarantee you, while they might not turn into great episodes, I guarantee you they will all be much more watchable uh-huh. than they are now. Because as they are, and by the way, the hour limits, same thing. Give the entire hour limits to a TV editor and say, give them back to me as half hours. I get, again, I guarantee you, far more watchable. But as the 60s went on and the hour format became, you know, they got used to doing it. You know, television uh-huh. started to grow a little and develop. Look at The Prisoner by Patrick McGowan. It made oh, yeah. ample use of the hour length. And now you look at we're in the golden age of television today, you know, with so many great shows, but they're all an hour long. But, you know what I mean, they're not padded like these early hour-long dramatic shows were. But, yeah, I only find Thursday and Death Ship watchable. The others are, like I said, unwatchable. I don't want to ask you about the the remakes because I know you don't like them, but what I do want to ask you is... Is it impossible to make the Twilight Zone now? Because they keep trying and they keep failing. Can it be done? They keep trying to fail. Don't you guys have that TV show Black Mirror in England? Oh, yeah. It was made by Charlie Brooker. He's an English guy. Mm -hmm. But isn't Black Mirror, I've seen one or two episodes, isn't that considered like the new Twilight Zone? You know, it's like the high-tech Twilight, whatever they're calling it. Uh But that's the only show to date critically that could even be discussed of on the same level as the Twilight Zone. Because I think mm-hmm. what people are missing when they redo the Twilight Zone, they're copying the surface elements without getting to the heart of what the Twilight Zone is about. And the heart, number one, it starts, number one, again, if you, you don't film it in black and white, it ain't the Twilight Zone. And that's a real bugaboo I have, you know, so many beautiful commercials and music videos are shot in black and white. Why the powers that be think a beautifully shot black and white show, especially if it's called The Twilight Zone, why they think that would not succeed is beyond me. But I think part of, again, the feeling and the look of The Twilight Zone, you've got to bring back the black and white. Yeah. Now, again, maybe that's because that's the artist in me. I'm a purist, like I said. But I'm sorry, it ain't the Twilight Zone if it's shot in color. You want to call it something else? Tales from the Dark Side or all that, but fine. But it ain't the Twilight Zone. So if you're going to redo the Twilight Zone, and then if you're going to redo the Twilight Zone, you've got to get to the heart of what made the Twilight Zone succeed. So if it, it wasn't about monsters. It wasn't about special effects like all these other shows are all about. It was psychological and existential and surreal. Yeah. If you, if you don't buy off on those concepts, then you don't understand the Twilight Zone. And obviously, all the remakes don't get it. Uh-huh. They all think not only that it has to be done in color, but most of the stories are not what I consider to be the existential, surreal, 
types of stories that I would do. And it's more like what Black Mirror has tried to do, which is, you know, in, in the case of they're purely doing technology, but it's where that's our whole life now. But yeah, yeah. to me, if I'm the story editor of a, of a new thing, The Twilight Zone, you've got you've to commission stories that look at life from a surreal point of view. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what those stories are, but that's the jumping off point. That's where it begins. And it's not about monsters or special effects. Sorry. But maybe that show can't be made. But, and, then, and then you've got, in the same way Serling let creative people be creative. You know, Tom, when I interviewed people like Buck Houghton when he was alive for my book, uh-huh. and in the late 80s when I went out to L.A. and did my research, I interviewed Doug Hayes, you know, the director of Eye of the Beholder and After Hours and some of the other great episodes. Everybody that talked about Serling and the Twilight Zone, they talked about it fondly as a guy that was creative that allowed other people to be creative within whatever it is they do. Well, that's how Orson Welles got Citizen Kane done. That's how so many great things get done is when creative people let other people be creative. Yeah, yeah. That's how art gets done. Well, that's how Twilight Zone got done. So if you're going to do a new Twilight Zone, you've got to hire writers and artists and people that have unique ways of looking at the world, as Serling did. So, you, you know what I mean? That's the spirit of the Twilight Zone. So it's like, tell me a story that talks about life, but from a skewed, surreal, existential angle, and film it in black and white. That's it. Now, that might fail, just like all these other ones have failed, but until they do what I just described, they haven't, you know, done a new Twilight Zone in my mind. You know, I'll never forget that horrible Spielberg movie. And I love Steven Spielberg, but I thought his Twilight Zone movie was horrible. And I'll never forget yeah. that opening thing with Dan Aykroyd and whoever the other guy was in the car. And they're driving around going, you want to know something really scary? And they're putting on masks, like monster masks, as if that was what the Twilight Zone was about. And it was shot in color. And I'll never forget watching that going, are you kidding me? These idiots think that's what the Twilight Zone was about? So that's my point, Tom. Yeah, yeah. They don't get it. Now, it's not like my phone is ringing. God forbid Hollywood should call me and say, hey, Arlen Schumer, just like what you talk about. Arlen Schumer, your book blew me away. And blah, 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 blah. And you really get... We would like you to be the executive producer of a new Twilight Zone TV series. You think I'm waiting by the phone for that to ring? No. <laughs> but if life were fair, which it isn't, my phone would ring with that phone call. And then I would say to you, Tom, guess what? I'm actually getting to put into practice some of my ideas about how to do the Twilight Zone as a new TV show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But in the meantime, I got to put out my own book and hope for the best. But man, my new version, my new book, man, it's going to blow your mind. Well, tell, tell us a bit about it. Well, basically, after my book came out in 1991 in the spring, mm. I was asked by the Museum of Television and Broadcasting in Chicago 
we have a museum of television in New York City, but they didn't do a thing for me. But there was, mm. I don't know, there was a museum of broadcast communications in Chicago. And in the spring of 91, right after my book came out, they flew me out to Chicago, put me up. I did my lecture in a beautiful, modern, you know, uh, theatrical room at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. And they said, Arlen, we'll give you five days while you're out here to program your favorite episodes that we'll show in the museum for the five days. Uh huh. So I took it upon myself. I said, wow, I've got five days to program like about a dozen episodes each day. So that when people go okay. to see them, you know, those episodes will be playing on a loop and people can watch them. Uh -huh. But it got me to thinking, wow, how would I structure, you know, am I just going to take, you know, my favorite episodes and split them up into five days? And that got me thinking. And again, this is the artist in me. This is the writer in me that when uh -huh. I get creative problem to solve, I try to do the best I can to make it both interesting, a little educational, fun. You know, that's what I try to do with all my work, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, wow, five days, I thought, what if each day was a different theme? Hmm. And that I would group the episodes by theme, and then that got me thinking, well, what are the five? Are there five themes to the Twilight Zone? And that, so I ended up writing and designing, and I could send you all this stuff, in PDF form after we're done talking, Tom. But I ended up writing and designing little brochures that I call program notes, where I did select what I thought were five themes of the Twilight Zone, and I wrote essays, and I chose about a dozen episodes for each theme, uh -huh. which take 12 episodes times five themes, it's about 60 episodes. You know, I'm very critical when it comes to the Twilight Zone. Out of 156 episodes, I think half of them are dogs. Uh-huh. And they're left with about 75 episodes. I think 50 of those are what I call good to great television. Yeah. And then you're left with 25 episodes that are the episodes I would give to the aliens if they materialize right in front of me and said <laughs> we have root for one earth television show yeah. what are you going to give Tom are you going to give them the Sopranos are you going to give them Mad Men <laughs> are you going to give them the Outer Limits what are you going to give think so. if they have room on their spaceship for one TV show what are you going to give them the Twilight Zone you're going to give them the Twilight Zone now they only have room for a certain amount of episodes they can't fit all 156 episodes those mm -hmm. are the 25 episodes now, remember you said, Arlen, what are your favorite episodes? I rattled off about 10. Yeah. Well, yeah. if I were to extend it to 25, you know, that's what I'd give the aliens. But, mm -hmm. so when you think 12 times 5, 60, it's about what I consider the best slides in episodes. Okay. And that gets into a whole other discussion of, you know, there's no clear consensus. What, an episode that I love is somebody else, another Twilight Zone fan's worst episode. Of course, yeah. Take the episode 22, Room for One More, mm -hmm. with the more, you know that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I love that episode. Even though it's shot in video, it looks a little crude, that's one of my favorite episodes. Uh-huh. There, there are Twilight Zone fans that hate that episode. I mean, yeah. hate it, Tom. 
Uh-huh. They think the performance by the actress is too shrill. They don't like uh, the, the crazy uh, doctor, Dr. Smith from uh, Lost in Space. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. me, I, now, there's an episode I hate. Uh, will the real Martian please stand up? Okay. Do you, know, do you know how many top ten lists that episode winds up in that I've seen? And I think it's Hello? one of the worst episodes. Mm-hmm. So, it's weird. I don't think there's a clear consensus anymore of the best episodes. I just have the episodes I think are great. Yeah. So, the point is, is I wrote essays back in 1991 called The Five Themes of the Twilight Zone. And um, those essays, over the years, I've embellished them, I've edited them, I've added to them. And when I decided I want to read I wanted to do a revised version of my book. Uh-huh. I decided I wanted to get more text in my book and the best text I could get because my original book is more visual than verbal. There is enough text in the book to make it, you know, an interesting read, but it's primarily mm. more of a visual book. Although, like I said, there's plenty of text in its own way. But with the addition of the five themes essay, which, like I said, there's a version of it on my site, but it's yeah, yeah. Been expanded and developed. And so basically the new version of my book, it's going to be a little bit bigger. It's going to be printed beautifully. Uh-huh. Still treating the images as television photography as art. Yeah. But I already did the scan look version of like the scan lines as part of the look. But yeah. here we are 25 years later. I've already done that look. Now with the Blu-rays and the technology, I'm able to do screen captures of some of the same images, but now when they when you blow them up in the coffee table art book format, mm. the quality holds up where I don't need the scan lines anymore to get across my point of view. Now yeah, yeah. It's truly beautiful black and white art photography. So it's 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 a it's like a revised, reimagined version of my old book, but with a lot more text, but without sacrificing any of the visual imagery. So mm. when I send you a PDF of when I'm done with it, which would be in the next week or so. Um, wow. You'll see what I mean. So you know what I mean. It's it's got all the five themes text. But uh-huh. it's got all of what made the original book. If you love the original book, you're going to love the new version. And you're going to love it more because there's more content, basically. Good. And nice. um, it's more of a complete statement about it. I'm really proud of it. It's like, uh, you know, it's like one of my children, you know. The book yeah, lives yeah, in I can imagine. I live in it. Mm-hmm. So, And then, you know, okay. well, like I said, I already have a publisher interested but it's all dependent on CBS, and they're really tricky about the rights these days. So right. uh, I think by me, with my plan, and listen, worst comes to worst, if I don't get the book published, I'll at least get my master's degree out of it. So that's really my whole plan. But yeah, I think if CBS holds this finished thing in their hands, I'm hoping that knowing that they have an interested publisher it's going to turn the tide for me. But again, that's up in the air. But let's hope the spirit of Rod Serling intervenes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope so, man. I'll see how 
you posted and you know once one step at a time yeah yeah great well I, I just have one more question Arlen if that's okay of course I know I know you're good for it man there's a there's a section on your site called Westport in the Twilight Zone ah. that's referring to Westport Connecticut and it's got these beautiful big panels on it yes. so Tell us what you know. What's behind Westport and the Twilight Zone? Oh man, are you ready for this? You're not going to believe this one. Go on. <laughs> okay, so I'm living in New York City, and I fall in love with a woman, and uh, we in the same art studio, Neil Adams, mm. and uh, we're living in New York City in a loft, living the art life the best way it can be lived. And then in 1992, long story short, we moved to Westport, Connecticut. Why? My wife is one of these people, could only take New York City for a certain amount of time, like a lot of people, and then eventually has to leave. But I'm married, we don't have kids yet, and I decide, okay. Now, I knew about Westport because of the Twilight Zone. I knew Serling lived there in the 50s before he went out to L.A. to do the Twilight Zone. And then as a comic book fan, the the ads on the back of the comic books I grew up with were for the famous artist school with a famous phrase, we're looking for people who like to draw. Hmm. And a whole generation, you know, took those art lessons. Anyway, the famous artist school was in Westport, Connecticut, because Westport had a history, I found out later, it was a big illustration and creative area, a lot of comic book and comic strip artists, sales promotions, proximity to New York City. It's only an hour out of New York City. Yeah. So, and that's why Serling, when he came here in the 50s, you know, commuted into New York City to work on those 50s television plays while he raised a young family in Westport. So Westport is your classic American, if you're going to live close to New York City, but with all the trappings of suburbia and commute in, you can't do worse than Westport. For most people, it's the American dream. For me, it became... And now I feel like I'm introducing my own Twilight episode. For most people, <laughs> Westport, Connecticut is the American dream. For Arlen Schumer, the son Rod Surly never had, it became a nightmare. Akin <laughs> to living through the episode, A Stop at Willoughby. Now, wow. what was A Stop with Willoughby about, remember? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the great episodes. Mm. What is that episode about? Uh, this is where I'm asking you not what was the, what was the plot? It's about this guy. He's living the push push life, and right, he's an he's an advertising executive, a creative guy. Yeah, and yeah. he can't take the rat race in New York City, and he's got a materialist shrew of a wife. Remember? Yeah, yeah. And all she wants him for is his big ticket, uh, his big ticket salary that he earns in New York City. Remember? Yeah, yeah. And the Remember, he can't take it anymore. He's really a sensitive right. artist. Even though he didn't call himself an artist, he was a sensitive soul uh -huh. who couldn't take that pressure of the city. And finally, he quits, and he calls up his wife, Janie, I'm coming home, Janie, and all he hears on the other end is a click. She leaves him, basically. Yeah. And what happens? He th Well, he thinks he's getting off the train to Willoughby, but... What happens? Uh, well, he's actually jumped from the train, and uh, you know they pick him up in the in the hearse. Okay, so, so I'm a big Twilight Zone fan, right? I mm -hmm. come to Westport in 1992. Here's a funny story. 
I go to the Westport Public Library. Now, my book had been out a year. And I go up to the middle-aged woman working at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And my idea was I'm going to donate a copy of my book to the Westport Library because Serling used to live here in the 50s. And if they don't have my book, they should. Hmm. So when I did my research on my book in the late 80s in L.A., I was trying to find out who designed the famous Twilight Zone logo. And nobody knew. Buck Houghton, the producer, didn't know. I made phone calls to the various uh, graphic title places still in business. Nobody knew who designed the Twilight Zone logo. So when the book came out, I wasn't able to credit it. But the logo's right there on the cover. That distinctive Uh lettering, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm in Westport in the spring of 92. We just moved there from New York City. And I go into the Westport Library. I go up to the middle-aged woman. And I pull out my book, and I'm about to go into my spiel about how certainly during the 50s, she takes one look at my book cover, and Tom, she goes, you know, my husband designed that logo. No way. Yes way. Imagine my jaw drops to the floor. Uh Uh-huh. Turns out, she introduces me to her husband. Remember, this is 1992. Guy in his mid-60s. He looked like a Texas rockabilly. He still had his pompadour, tight jeans, snakeskin boots. His name Uh is Joe Messerly. And it turns out back in 1959, he was a young graphic designer relocating to California from Texas to look for work. And he works at the CBS art department. And one day he's got to design a logo for a new show called The Twilight Zone. Oh, wow. Living in Fairfield, Connecticut, one town over from me, as an illustrator drawing funny animals and dogs and things like that for, like, the greeting card market or something like that. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, I kind of rediscovered him, and then there were a couple of Twilight Zone conventions, and he was able to go, and then he he passed away, I don't know, about 10 years ago or so. I dropped out of touch Uh with him. But the point is, is... That was a positive little Westport story. But the reason why I brought up all that stuff is that what if I told you I ended up living that Willoughby episode in my real life, living in Westport, Connecticut, as a Twilight Zone fan? Okay, now now I'm listening. Meaning I was commuting into the city, trying to make a living, dealing with the pressure of that. I had a materialist shrew of a wife that only wanted me for that money I was bringing in. And when the money broke down, so did our marriage, which is not uncommon for a lot of marriages. But the point is, is as I was going through it, here I am, a big twilight man. I wasn't even aware that I was going through it. Yeah, yeah. And just like the guy in the episode, I also stepped off that train. Except he he succeeded. I didn't. I'm still here to talk to you. Wow. But the pressures of that marriage, living in Westport, commuting to the city, trying to support a family, making a living, going on that train every day, it killed me. Hmm. It killed my marriage. I'm still living in Westport, believe it or not, because I landed in a nice apartment after I got divorced. Long story short... Years after that, that that happened in 2006. In 2010, I uh, 
I barely do anything in this town. I mostly do everything in New York City, but I've got a great apartment. If I could airlift this apartment into New York City, it would be about $8,000 a month rent. So that's what keeps me out here. But Westport has a whole history. They have this historical society, and they had a kind of circular exhibit area. And those that what ended up becoming – so I must have met somebody there, and I pitched them this idea of like, you know – Serling lived here in the 50s, and a couple of Twilight episodes that are about the dark underbelly of suburbia, uh-huh. Serling got from living here, Westford in the 50s, commuting into New York City. You know, Willoughby, you can hear the conductor go, Westport, Saugatuck, you know, these are the train stops. So, and then, you know, the shelter, and a co- even though he wrote them while he was in Los Angeles, a lot of those episodes, I was able to connect. So those panels, those images were originally going to be like 12-foot by 9-foot panels in a circular space. Anyway, long story short, the people I was dealing with were a bunch of suburban idiots. And I'm like a fish out of water here. Anyway, it, the whole project ended up falling apart, not after I designed everything. So... I was able to take those designs and at least I post them on my website. And believe it or not, some of that design ends up in the new version of my book. So I was able to salvage some of that. Um, but, you know, some of those ideas made it into the revised book. So it's not a total loss. And in the end, Westport in the Twilight Zone, I was able to do a lecture about it for a Rod Serling um, symposium a couple years ago. Put uh-huh. together by the people at Ithaca, where his, um, his, all of his Serling's papers are. So I've gotten some mileage out of that, but more or less, it's not, you know, what you see on the website is not the way it was intended, but it's still, you know, it's still a viable little project sitting there, but, you know, that's how that ended up happening. But yeah, art imitated life, which imitated art, which imitated life in my own life. So how's that for a Twilight Zone episode? That's what I'm saying. I lived it, man. I lived it. Yeah, well, I, I got more answer than I expected there, man. That, that was... Like I said, you opened up that can of worms, but that's the story yeah. of uh, Arlen Schumer and Westford in the Twilight Zone. Okay, man. Well, I think we we shall leave it there. You know, you've been a great guest, Arlen. I've, I've wanted to get you on for a while, and I'm sorry it's taken so long to do it because we could probably... Oh, Tom, better late than never, and Listen, you're like you're like the younger brother I always wanted and never got, you know. Good. And we're bonded now over the Twilight Zone, you know. Like uh-huh. I consider you now, you know, you're a friend, and you know we're bonded over the Twilight Zone. There's nothing more that I would love to do would be to come over to England and the Liverpool and watch some episodes with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. But yeah, if you ever wanted to do literally like a series of these interviews where we talk about each episode or something, I'll always be up for, like I said, I could talk Twilight Zone as much as you want. I definitely get the feeling we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely do something, and you know I'm gonna I'm gonna make those calls, see if we can put that thing together as well. Would that be incredible? I would love it, Tom. That would just be on. And listen, maybe. It'll really make things change. I mean, imagine if it ended up getting the Twilight Zone shown again. I mean, you'd be doing. I mean, it's a it's a real noble cause, you know. We need the lessons of the Twilight Zone more than ever at the moment. Well, tell me about it, and that's a whole another thing, you know. I mean, 
Look at the episode He's Alive with Dennis Hopper. Uh That's the Donald Trump story. That's Donald Trump. Well, Tom, this has really been wonderful. And let me know when it's up. And I hope I haven't talked your ear off. And I hope uh, it was as enjoyable for you as it was for me. Oh, it was great. Uh, Great experience. And I can't thank you enough, Arlen. Thank you. Well, Tom, just for what you said about what my book did for you really is priceless. And I'll always remember that. It was really a beautiful thing. Thank you. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. Well, listen, Arlen, we'll stay in touch and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll do this again. And listen, I hope to see you next time in person in Liverpool, mm-hmm. in England, in London, where you and I, you know, change the cause of Twilight Zone in England. That's our noble cause, okay? Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's make it happen. Rod Serling would be proud. <laughs> I think so, too. Okay, man. Take care. This has been great. Thanks for the opportunity. Bye-bye. So there we go. And it's fair to say that I got more than I bargained for with that interview. You know, such interesting stuff, such great analysis, and some great stories about Arlen's time as one of the main Twilight Zone commentators. So I just want to say thank you to him again. Now, we talked about this thing about him coming to England and that kind of thing. And it's something that I will do. I will contact these places in London and see whether it's something they're interested in doing, whether they will listen to me. I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's uncharted territory for me. But what I would say is this. If on the off chance anyone is listening who works in this kind of venue, you know, the theatre, who are putting this on, or any other kind of place that could host such an event and would bring Arlen over to do it, then please, by all means, you know, get in touch and we will see what we can do. So I will try my best, you know, it's a bit out of what I've ever done before in life, but sometimes, you know, you got to try these things and I make no promises, but if it could happen, what a great thing that would be. So thanks again to Arlen. Check out his website, arlenschumer.com, to see his other work. And fingers crossed that he gets the new updated version of Visions from the Twilight Zone published, and we can fall in love with that book all over again. So that's enough from me for this episode. Next time we definitely will get to that episode about It's a Good Life. That one's going to be a bit longer than usual so if it takes a couple of weeks to come out then bear with me but it is coming so thanks again and i will speak to you next time